Welcome to the CEC report for the 8th of June 2018. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Elisa. And on today's show, new economic Armageddon warning for Australia and who's telling us to fear China? So firstly, new economic Armageddon warning for Australia. Now the backdrop uh, before we go into the details of Australia is that the IMF is warning of a new crisis, a new crash. Uh, it's connected to the corporate warning, uh, co corporate debt bubble in particular, and there have been warnings both from Standard and Poor's and Moody's rating agencies, warning of a new wave of corporate bond defaults, uh, particularly starting in the United States, but spreading worldwide. Um, that's the global backdrop. The backdrop here in Australia is a rather interesting one too. Um, there's a mammoth backlash against the banks and that's been true for a while now since our campaign against uh, the APRA emergency powers which were passed in mid-February which gave APRA, our Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, uh, the power to confiscate certain investments of the people mm -hmm. in order to save the banks in a crisis. Uh, but it's also escalated since, of course, the Royal Commission, which has been ongoing. Um, now, finally, though, the update in this situation is that criminal charges are beginning to be brought against the banks, the big banks, which is always what has been denied under the modicum of too big to jail, um, yeah. you know, because bankers internationally have said, oh, we can't take up charges against the banks. This could crash the entire system if we were to do so. So criminal charges this week... Uh, have been levelled against ANZ, Citigroup and Deutsche Bank, uh, who colluded together to keep ANZ shares from crashing at the time three years ago when they put out a $3 billion share issue. And the media is really flipping out about this in the last couple of days. Um, there are reports in the media saying that bankers are stunned at this decision, um, that everyone involved in investment banking has read every word written about this case. Um, some are effectively saying, you know, this is how we do things. How can you say it's criminal? How can you challenge this? This is the way it's always been done. We've always gotten away with it. Uh, yeah, investment bankers and merchant bankers, Elisa. Yeah. That is the nature of these guys, and that's why we're pushing for and need a Glass-Steagall separation of the banks, where you separate mm. out the normal commercial banking system, you know, which is the, what we call the boring banks that just deal with loans and mortgages, deposits and so forth, which are fully secured because they're government guaranteed and protected from the attitude that these guys are self-confessing to, that you know we actually are criminals by nature from the way that we want to dupe the public, manipulate things, get into inside trading. That mentality can stay with investment and merchant banking and if you're silly enough to put your money with them, mm. well, you're silly enough to get ripped off. Yeah. But don't, don't bring that system into the yeah. normal commercial banking system, which is why you know, I went back and we looked. It's now been eight years since we started campaigning for Glass-Steagall back in 2010. Mm. And in 2013, it really ramped up when we started to see the bail-in issue in Cyprus, where the bank, uh, the government over there, literally stole people's deposits. Yeah. It's called bail-in, and what APRA has been given, which is what you uh, referenced before, is the power to, to steal certain or not steal, but to con uh, to allow the banks to convert certain instruments. These are called bail-inable bonds. Yeah. There's about 93 billion dollars of these things being sold publicly to the to mum and dad investors and superannuation funds. Uh, 
literally say in, in the time of if a bank, when it, not if, but when a bank gets into crisis, oh, you don't have to repay those liabilities. That's called bail-in. Yeah. Right? And that's what people don't realise is deliberately as part of the, uh, the entire system. It's so-called to pr provide for the financial stability of the system, i.e. protect the banks first and to hell with your deposits. Mm. And it won't work anyway. Uh, because if more than one bank collapses, then the whole system's going to unravel if you start doing that yep. and people lose faith in the banks at the same time, which has a very big impact. But the real solution, banking separation, has come up at the Royal Commission. Um, it's Even the Treasury has said perhaps we ought to look into this. Uh, so the impact of the Royal Commission is really being felt. And another um, piece of evidence of that was an article which is on the website of the Institute for Public Affairs, the IPA, headlined, A Banking Royal Commission by Show Trial. <laughs> and it opens with this sentence. The hearings of the Banking Royal Commission have at different times resembled a cross between the Soviet show trials of the 1930s and the American TV show law of the 1980s. And it goes on to defend Malcolm Turnbull for opposing the Royal Commission against the, quote, public bloodlust against the banks. Well, I'm afraid they're not going to stop that public bloodlust anytime soon. And now we're going to have a look at some of the predicates for Australia. And, and these predicates have been raised, um, and, and it explains the bloodlust really in a, in a way. Um, these have been raised by John Adams, who's a former advisor to the Liberal National Coalition. He's an economist, is that right? Yeah, he's an economist, yes. and he's raised this um, previously, a year ago, and we put out a flyer on some of the predicates of this. And again, he's come up uh, refreshing this and exposing 10 economic myths. This was published 27th May uh, in news.com.au. And he prefaced it by saying that my warnings have been based on a series of economic metrics which have reached historically abnormal levels and which have, in similar circumstances, led to catastrophic economic consequences. So we'll briefly go through them. Firstly, he says, the myth there will be no financial crisis in our lifetime and he effectively demolishes this um, saying he's got a whole host of different metrics which prove that today's bubble, quote, is either equivalent or worse than what happened in the lead up to the Great Depression. Just take three of them, Lisa. You've got the housing bubble for a start, which is universally recognised as being a bubble deliberately being promoted. You have the derivatives bubble. Into you know These are instruments, you know, financial pieces of paper that have no physical existence apart from being traded for money, going up to $37 trillion in this country, national capital mm. value. And then, of course, you've got the debt bubble. Look at the household debt bubble in Australia, the, uh, the amount of credit card debt there is. I mean, these are the bubbles he's talking about. Yeah, and there's more. And secondly, the next myth, today is the new normal. <laughs> oh, you know, this is just how it, how it goes these days. There's nothing abnormal about it. But on the contrary, Adams points out, Australia's debt is at historically high and abnormal levels. Yeah, um, I, I think, at least you know, there's a, there's a uh, story about a frog putting yeah. it in cold water and bring it to the boil. Yeah. Well, that frog's now boiling, and that's so-called the new normal. Exactly. I mean, you won't be able to survive it. But, no. you know, the frog and didn't know that it was going to get to boiling point mm -hmm. and that's why I think a lot of Australians don't realise that's yeah. the problem that we're in. Yeah. Um, and then thirdly, inflation is low and we'll put up the chart that he uses where he shows um, the CPI, which is the official figure, the Consumer Price Index, which is rather low and doesn't increase very much, but then he compares that to the increase, the quite steep increase in money supply from the Reserve Bank of Australia. Um, which he calls Australia's hidden inflation. 
Uh, fourthly, any rise in interest rates will be gradual and therefore you know, won't have an impact to um, blow out the housing bubble, etc. So he points out that Australia has a huge foreign debt, over one trillion net debt. So therefore, we're at the mercy of international rate changes. And even if the RBA keeps rates on hold or raises them only gradually, the overseas markets can push up interest rates very quickly and that can be passed on and will be passed on in Australia. And that equals disaster for home buyers owing $1.7 trillion. Yeah, at least the banks have an enormous exposure to overseas borrowings. That's where they get their money from. Mm. So if there is any sort of increase in interest rates overseas, as, as he's saying, look, it's just going to be passed on. Mm -hmm. So what are the banks going to do? Yeah. Pass it on to us. That's right. And now, mm. fifth, Australian house prices will never fall. Well, we just refuted that already, really. Um, but he points out that credit for housing has expanded from around 20% of GDP in 1991 to more than 95% of GDP in 2017. Uh, and, of course, credit has been very cheap. But that artificial demand... Uh, will uh, collapse as interest rates go up, prices will tumble as they did around the time of the 2008 GFC. And of course, in countries from the US to the UK, all over Europe, you had housing prices falling by up to 55%. Our crash is coming. Six, a triple A credit rating means it is safe. Now, for anyone who's watched the big short, I don't think we need to explain this. Um, but yeah, financial interest instruments that were rated triple eight during the GFC were supposed to be the safest of all, but that was proven completely wrong. And of course, proposed reforms to the rating agencies in the US, for instance, have not been enacted. Uh, you know, local councils in this country, Elisa, believe those AAA ratings that went into collateralised debt obligations prior to the global financial crisis. Not just councils, but hospitals, all sorts of different institutions believed in those AAA ratings and mm. they turned out to be pure junk and they, they lost an enormous amount of money. But this is the scam that is run with these rating agencies. And I think the big short, you know, mm. people get onto mm -hmm. the big short and look at that, they'll see that this, uh, this is a complete fraud. Yep. And he also points out, number seven, um, for people who own gold, that the Banking Act of 1959 um, the governor gives the governor general the power to sign a proclamation compelling individuals to sell their gold to the RBA under crisis circumstances. So that doesn't necessarily uh, represent a safe haven for people. But we have to take a quick break. We'll keep talking about this right after this. Welcome back to the CEC Report where we're discussing the warning of an economist, John Adams, about a new economic Armageddon for Australia. Um, and we're up to point eight, which is a significant one in his list of ten myths about our economy. Bank bail-ins can't happen in Australia and it's very significant that this is being raised mm. in you know, the mass media in this context. We, of course, ran a big campaign against the APRA Emergency Powers Bill that we talked about earlier. Uh, and we showed that bail-ins now can happen. And what Adam, Adams admits in this article uh, is that the bill allows for hybrid securities, which are sold to investors, as you said, to the tune of about $94 billion, yeah. um, without adequate warning, as even the head of the ACCC has said at a certain point. Um, and they've been described as um, you know, a, a looming threat, actually, which could detonate at any point. Uh, because these bonds can be converted into shares in the bank or confiscated at the point of a crisis. Uh, of course, we also warned 
um, which Adams doesn't go into, uh, but we also warned at the time that the bill's wording opens a back door for ordinary deposits to be bailed in, as happened in Cyprus in 2013. Well, people immediately say, but aren't we guaranteed by the government? Well, yeah. th that's our next point, Lisa. Yeah. But the, I just wanted to say, look, no, it's not, it's not designed to work. Mm. Technically, you know, the government says $250,000 of your bank deposit in any one bank is protected, mm -hmm. and it, but it, that means that anything above that can be bailed in. Mm. Uh, now, APRA would argue, no, we don't have bail-in powers. And this yeah. is very important because what happened was, in February, there was a resolution put up into the Senate to exclude deposits from being bailed in. Explicitly, Explicitly in the wording. Explicitly yeah. in the wording. But the Senate the government overrode that and just pushed the bill through anyway. So yep. when it push comes to shove in a crisis, APRA's not going to wait for the lawyers to tell them whether you can do something or not because people will be screaming. Mm -hmm. They're just going to do what they've got to do and let all the dust settle and all the problems come out afterwards. Now, that amendment would have stopped any uh, problems with people you know, thinking that their deposits weren't safe. Now. Mm -hmm. You don't have that assurance. Mm. And that's point nine that Adams raises. Bank deposits are guaranteed by the government. And he does expose, expose the explosive truth that the financial claims scheme is essentially unfunded. Um, there's actually no funding. It would be funded by a bank levy at the point of a crisis. And which if there's more, bank, more than one bank in crisis, that would not work. But Adam, Adams also asks, asks if under severe economic conditions the federal government would be able to finance its existing debt, let alone providing billions of dollars under the financial claims scheme if multiple financial institutions require deposit insurance. Plus, he says the government is not legally obliged to honour its guarantee, but rather it retains the legal discretion as to whether or not it wishes to activate the scheme. So the scheme has to be activated by the government in particular cases before it is actually used. But this is all to bail out the banks, yeah. right, first and foremost. I mean, look, the issue is here, Elisa, what we, what we say with Glass-Steagall, uh, first of all, you've got to separate out the necessary commercial banking system so you get rid of all the merchant investment banking, stockbroking house, insurance companies and so forth, and you have a strong commercial banking system. But our policy as a political party is that you need a strong national bank. Like the Commonwealth Bank used to be, back in the you know, time of Curtin and Chifley, where they used that bank to regulate the major other banks at that particular time. Now, if we have a national bank that is backed by the government and is used to create the credit, then to hell with the other banks. Mm -hmm. We don't have to prop up private institutions. No. Right? We need a strong national bank. And we're writing legislation or rewriting legislation right now for that. We've got a, a, a bill currently called the Commonwealth National Credit Bank. That's being updated for today's standards whereby we're putting on the table, look, this government needs a national bank to control the private banks. You won't need bailing. Mm. You won't need yep. these uh, mechanisms that the private monetary elite, the private money oligarchy, want to use to control the people who mm. have their money in the banks. Yeah, because there's no doubt, and that's why this, you know, APRA legislation and other things have come up, our banks are bankrupt. We need a big clean out and we need to virtually start over. And which is the tenth point of John Adams. Banks around the world are well capitalised. That's the final myth he blows away. And he points out that the Bank for International Settlements capital rules for banks assume that no governments around the world would default on their debt. So another Greek style sovereign debt crisis 
would cause big losses among the banks holding government debt as capital. So, you know, yeah. they've got this government debt as capital, but governments won't default. Well, um, yeah, look, Lisa, we've, we've produced a, a, what we call a banking manual, which is, you know, the next financial crisis, uh, crash is certain, end of Bank of England, Bank of International Settlements and Australian Prudential Regulation Authority Bankers Dictatorship. Time for Glass-Steagall Banking Separation and a National Bank. Mm. Now, if people call in, then they yeah. can get a copy of this if they haven't received anything from us before. But this is the manual that goes mm. through what I've been talking about. Glass-Steagall, the need for national banking and then large-scale infrastructure development projects. All the claptrap that's going on in the media now in terms of the need for more regulation, give APRA the right to bail in uh, people's deposits is completely and utterly unnecessary. Mm. There is another model and people should get involved in the political fight for this uh, and uh, get, get a copy if they haven't already, already got one. And by way of update on our Glass-Steagall campaign, um, people should be reminded to contact your Member of Parliament because Bob Catter is willing to put up the legislation that we've written for Glass-Steagall for Australia as soon as he has someone to second that legislation. So we need people to harass their MPs to demand this. And just to remind people also, uh, Rebecca Sharkey, the MP for Mayo in South Australia, who's up for the by-election coming up soon, uh, is willing to second it. So anyone over there campaign for her. It'd be good to have her back, obviously, to support and second this bill. Uh, and then also we have a candidate running in Perth, Craig. Yeah, Barry Mason, our candidate, is running in the seat of Perth for the by-election over there. So he's campaigning on break up the banks. I mean, that's the principal idea, mm. principal message that we intend to get out in that electorate. Mm. So we'll stop for a moment and we'll be back to discuss who's telling us to fear China. Welcome back to the CEC report. So finally, who is telling us to fear China? Now we put out a press release this week, why all the fuss over Chinese interference? What are we afraid of? And we got quite a reaction to that of people asking how dare we defend China, which is interesting and it's important to discuss through actually why we're getting such a reaction. Um, and really what we wanted to achieve with this press release we put out, and people should go to the website and read the details, is that people need to consider, they need to look at this from a whole new perspective actually, they need to consider the economic policies that China is pursuing and why China might be the target of a coordinated black propaganda campaign exactly as Russia is the target of such a campaign as well, more so in the US than here, but we feel it here for sure. And people need to think through why the establishment media, why the politicians, why the leading think tanks, all pushed by our Anglo-American allies, do not want us to have a close relationship with China. I mean, if China had really infiltrated Australia, don't you think we would be hearing pro Chinese propaganda, like how great China is in all of the major media, yeah. but we're not seeing that. And we want to just mention quickly that the policies China is pursuing are exactly what we're promoting for Australia as in our manual and so forth. National credit for development, grand infrastructure project building, poverty reduction, and you can put up a graph to see that the share of world poverty that is now in China is, has dramatically decreased because of these economic policies they're pursuing. Glass-Steagall. China adopted Glass-Steagall uh, laws at the end of 1993 
and they explicitly modelled it on the US Glass-Steagall Act of 1933. And since then, they have stated unequivocally that that's the reason why they were able to help the rest of the world pull the economy through the global financial crash in 2007, 2008, because their economy had a buffer. They were protected. Uh, outlawing of speculation. China has only 0.33% of the world's derivatives. It has a very low ratio of derivatives. Only six US banks count for 20% of the total. And you know, on a population basis, the difference between us and China is extraordinary, as we've talked about before on the show. So you have to ask yourself, with the propaganda we're getting about China being such a threat, what our politicians are saying. Do you really believe these guys? I mean, think mm. it through. Put aside your actual, your existing fears and concerns uh, and think about, I mean, firstly, we'll put up, uh, this is a foreign ownership or foreign investor graph in Australia. And you can see here the US and the UK are way ahead of China, as are Belgium, Japan, Singapore and Hong Kong. Um, so for, for starters, China is not the one buying up Australia. We should have laws to control foreign ownership for sure and they may need to be strengthened. However, it needs to apply equally to all. We shouldn't be singling out China on things like this. Now, the other thing to consider is the US is interfering at the moment to tell us that we should stop China interfering. Um, and there's a host of media reports this week, just to mention a couple. US officials have sought assurances from the ALP that they will support the foreign interference laws. So they've come poking along, are you supporting this? I hope you're supporting this. Um, the US bill to stop foreign interference from China, which is just being put up in the United States, cites Australia as a precedent and talks about a US-Australian partnership against China. So it basically says our experience with putting forward foreign interference laws is an important precedent for the US. You've had New Zealand threatened with being removed from the Five Eyes, which is the spying alliance between the US, UK, Canada, New Zealand and Australia, because they've got a close and respectful relationship with China. Um, and we even had other things, like, for example, this week, a former senior US Treasury official in Australia uh, told us we shouldn't be thinking about taxing Facebook and Google uh, if we do, we will face blowback from the United States. So, you know, what kind of interference is that coming in and threatening? To, we've got to change our policy. But what they really fear, Craig, I want to put up some pictures here of the kind of development that's happening in China. And I want you to imagine <clears throat> for a moment that we were building these kind of railway lines and canal lines across Australia. This is just the development that's occurred in recent yeah. you know, decades here in, in China itself, it doesn't include what China is building outside of its own territory with the Belt and Road Framework and so forth. And the last thing, the financial establishment, which is threatened as it is right now with the Royal Commission with Glass-Steagall wants, is for Australia to be identifying with these kind of policies. Elisa, we've been following the free trade model, the British free trade model for years. One of the key policies there is a thing called comparative advantage, which means that you don't produce uh, high technology industries, you only go with things you're good at, like digging minerals out of the ground and agriculture and stuff like that. So this deliberate policy has forced us to go and import all these goods from China, which we should have been producing ourselves, along with infrastructure. People need to look a lot deeper into what they're thinking about because they're being mm. fed a crock. Yeah.
on this subject. And I mean, China wants to uplift other countries because it will have no one to trade with if we're all collapsing into the muck as we are right now. That's right. So think so, harder yeah. and have a look on our website. And call in for a copy of our Australian Alert Service if you haven't already. Thanks for tuning in. That's all we've got time for. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. And join us again next week. Thank you.